postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here. Welcome back to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. Super good to have you uh, listening in on this. And I just want to take a moment to say uh, a huge thanks also to people who message from time to time just to let me know how the Story Church Podcast is impacting their personal life and their spiritual life and even their local church. I love getting those messages from you guys. Please don't stop sending them. Uh, If you ever feel the urge to say, hey, I'm going to send Pastor Marcus a message just to let him know um, how blessed I am. Um, don't think, oh yeah, he's probably too busy. No, I'm not. Never, never for that sort of thing. I really appreciate those messages, guys. And of course, an enormous shout out to the patrons who support the Story Church Project on Patreon. Thank you guys so much as well. I know I do this in almost every podcast episode, um, but uh, look, I, I have to because it means so much to me that uh, you guys are willing to say, hey, look, um, I would like to give this much to the Story Church Project per month to help it continue to thrive and to grow and to expand. Um, And for those of you who've maybe considered it as well um, and are thinking, I'd love to, but I I can't really commit to that, you can always just go to the store, um, the Story Church Project store, download some of the eBooks. There's a special on right now, it's not gonna be on forever, where you can get all three eBooks for $12 in one go, which normally if you got them three separately, it would be $19. Uh, you can get all three of them for $12 right now. Um, and that really helps as well, guys, because there's no way to run a project like this effectively for free. And that's just the reality of it. You know, I'm one of those guys who's like, you know, forget about um, selling stuff and, you know, let's just give it out and, and, and just, um, add value to the church for free and and I started out that way and you know for for years I did it that way and I just could not gain traction and it's because you know advertising and and um, production quality even improving the audio on the podcast which was a long time coming um, all of that it it just costs money right so um, if you want to help out you can get some of the book stairs just a one-time thing or if you can do a patron i'd really really appreciate it because that helps out so much now for this week's podcast i was meant to have uh, interviewed sarah mcdougall um part two on um are your is your is your church's evangelism tactics or are your church's evangelism tactics abusive and uh, unfortunately i wasn't able to sit down with her we were meant to have the interview last night but there were some things going on and uh, it just didn't end up working out However, that part two is definitely coming. It's just not going to be this week. So I'm going to be doing it next week. And I want to invite you guys to uh, stay tuned because it'll definitely be up next week. But this week, I do have something to share that is just as incredibly amazing. It's um, my, my blog this week and podcast is titled Sheep Among Wolves, Three Incredible Lessons I Learned from the World's Fastest Growing Church. Um... Now, here's the thing. What if I told you that there is a church on the earth today that is growing at an unprecedented rate in one of the most anti-Christian places in the world and that this church has zero buildings, no central leadership, 
and is primarily led by women, sometimes as young as 17. Now, you might be thinking, there's no way this is happening in the West. And, and you'd be right. I, I mean, it's not, right? Um, it's happening in Iran, of all places. It's, now, Iran, for those of you who are familiar with Iran, who watch the news <laughs> from time to time, um, Iran is one of the most oppressive regimes in our day, exporting terrorism and fanatical Islam across the world. And, and this is you know, just the, the kind of place where, at least for me, I'm like, oh, I bet it'd be an amazing place to visit, but not until, you know, they have a change of government type thing. Um, but apparently inside Iran, there is an explosion taking place that is leading people to Jesus and is remarkable. Now, you might also be thinking, hey, Iran is a pre-modern country, right? People still value religion in pre-modern societies. So, of course, the church can grow there. What could we possibly learn from them that would work in a post-truth West? Now, I would normally agree with that sentiment. Um, but the thing is, the, the only reason why I don't this time is because I'm actually sharing this after having already seen and been completely blown away by the two-hour documentary film Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. Um, and nearly every statement in the entire film had me shouting yes on the edge of my seat. It was absolutely amazing. I walked away so completely convinced that everything that's happening in Iran is precisely what needs to happen in the West if we wish to reach our secular culture. Now, is there some tweaking to do? Is there some adapting to do? Of course. But I'm telling you guys, it is such an amazing documentary. You can find it on YouTube for free. Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. Um, you can find it on there for free, or you can go to the Story Church Project and look up the latest blog post, this one, um, and I've embedded it into that blog there. And I'll also put the link in the show notes. But here's the thing. I just want to share three quick, uh, a summary of three of the incredible lessons that I learned from the church in Iran by watching this documentary. Um, now, trust me, this is just a snippet, guys, all right? If you listen to this and you're like, wow, that was really compelling, I'm only scratching the surface. You have to watch the whole thing. I'm not going to reproduce two hours worth of documentary here. Um, so this is just a snippet. But if you want to catch the entire thing, then definitely check out the whole documentary. It's two hours long, and it's an incredible two hours. All right, so here are the three things that I learned, three incredible things, lessons that I learned from the church in Iran that I think is going to, uh, can significantly impact the church in the West in our post-truth context. Uh, lesson number one, relational, not positional. Now, one of the first things that stood out to me in the, is that the church in Iran is, is growing super fast using approaches opposite to what Western churches do. So one example is the concept of relational, not positional. And what they mean by this is that the church grows through relationships, not positions. Now, every single person is equipped in this movement and empowered to engage others in redemptive relationships. So basically, if I was just to convert that to English, there is no pastor dependence or ecclesiastical slash hierarchical structure in the church in Iran. It's foreign to them. The whole idea that, you know, you get together and you listen to a guy preach for half an hour, 45 minutes, once a week for two hours on a weekend morning, Sabbath, or, you know, Sunday, depending on your denomination, that is foreign in Iran. So whereas in the West, a church often revolves around the pastor preaching while others sit around and observe, in Iran, the church revolves around everyday people intentionally starting churches through relationships. Now, this has enabled the church in Iran to also bypass issues like women in leadership. Uh, in more Western models, they found women couldn't lead because of the Islamic culture 
um, the patriarchy in Islamic in Islamic culture, um, and a woman in a position of leadership was not accepted in that culture. So what they did was they got rid of positions <laughs> and are instead operating off of relation or relationship. And as a result, women can lead hindrance-free and the churches are self-sufficient, able to stand alone without constant pastoral oversight. And this is huge. Um, and I wish I could say that this summary does justice to the relational, not positional angle, but you have to watch the documentary to really get the beauty. Um, because the bottom line is that this isn't just a method for them. This is the way that they do church. And what it means is when it gets down to practical everyday life, what does church look like in the everyday life of, of a believer? It's completely different to what it looks like in Western context. In Western context, you know, we, we depend on positions so much. The pastor is going to do this and, you know, the treasurer is going to do that. And the personal ministries leader is going to do the other thing. And the elder is going to do that other thing. Um, and the deacons are going to do the visiting. Like, no, it doesn't work that way in, in, in this concept of relational, not positional um at all and so yeah you have everyday ordinary people some of them former drug addicts prostitutes people who just a few years before were you know trying to kill themselves because they were so miserable and now they're you know pastoring or leading hundreds of churches throughout iran it's absolutely amazing so relational not positional was the very first lesson that i learned through the documentary that really really blew my mind and uh, i just fell in love with it and been thinking about what would that look like if we stepped away from positional models in the western world and really aim for relational models uh, and here's the thing like we talk about relationship all the time in the western church oh you reach people through relationships it's all about relationships and that's true um, but the difference with the church in iran and the church in the west is they don't just talk about reaching people through relationships they structure the way church operates that way and that's the difference we talk about reaching people through relationships but we're still structured positionally whereas they are not structured positionally they're structured relationally um all right i'm gonna go to number two which also blew my mind disciple to convert right disciple to convert now in the west we convert to disciple and what i mean by this is we take a person interested in god and we give them bible studies aimed at converting them then once we have converted them we and which basically means i agree with all 28 fundamental beliefs and they can put their hand up um then we put them on a discipleship pathway so they can grow in spiritual maturity right in the best case scenarios because most churches don't even do that but in the best case scenario we, we go from the conversion to a discipleship pathway so they can grow now in iran it's actually the opposite and this was really surprising to me rather than convert to disciple they disciple to convert now, what does this look like, right? Let me let me try my best to explain this, but I'm telling you guys, I'm going to keep saying it. You just got to watch the documentary, okay? Um, so what this means is that from the very first interaction with someone, they are already discipling. They start discipleship from day one. So the moment they meet someone, they're teaching people who don't know Jesus how to live out the kingdom of Jesus, even if they haven't mentioned Jesus yet. So as, and, and then as, as questions emerge, they tell their stories, they invite them to go and tell others. And typically that person in, in their culture will then go and tell their family members, right? People closest to them. And then a few friends join in the conversation shortly after. And this is, and in the Iranian church, this they consider the beginning of a new church. Now you think about that compared to how we plant churches today, right? I mean, it's, you, the, the, the difference is that rather than taking a group of, uh, people who are going to one church and who are, you know, already sort of 
Christians and already sort of believers in every, you know, in every imaginable way um, to then start another church somewhere else. There, there is the opposite. They're actually starting churches with people who are just getting to know God, right? Um, so the point behind this is simple, it, and, and this is how they explain it. In the Gospels, you see Jesus sending unconverted people to bring other unconverted people to him. The 70, for example, went out, for example. Um, and that 70 that went out would not qualify to be baptized in many of our churches. Even the disciples struggled to believe uh, Jesus was God's son and that his kingdom was from heaven, not earth. In fact, they couldn't even grasp the resurrection. So by modern standards, they would not f be fit for church leadership. But Jesus used them to spread his kingdom. He discipled them first. And as he discipled them, they slowly became converted to his lordship over their lives. And this is the model the Iranian church uses. And as a result, they don't, they don't need hyper-emotional, resource-heavy, attractional models that move people to receive Jesus, right? The altar call with the cheesy emotional music, anyone? Um, in fact, they don't even focus on church planning. They focus exclusively on discipleship. Now, one of the interviewees in the documentary says something remarkable to that end. He states that when the church in Iran converted to disciple, uh, they noticed huge numbers would drop off when persecution came. In other words, they found that converts, and I'm using the word converted in, in inverted commas and so are they, because we all know there's a difference between true and false conversion. Um, but what they found was that converts, in, in that sense of the word, they were weak in the face of persecution because converts were essentially people who like what you say and embrace it. But disciples are willing to die for Jesus. It's not just a cute idea for them or a better alternative to Islam. Disciples are fully committed, wholly surrendered, bond servants of Jesus, and they don't bend when persecuted. And so they begin with discipleship and they disciple someone from day one. And by the time that that person gives their life, you know, they, they make that open decision to give their life to Jesus, they're, they're fully discipled. And, um, and they're willing to die, to sacrifice even their bodies um, for Jesus. And it's absolutely, absolutely fascinating. And I'm just like, wow, you know, I wonder what would happen if we stop trying to convert people in the West, particularly in postmodern society where it doesn't work anyway. And we instead looked at what are some ways in which we can teach believers to disciple unbelievers from day one and to get them involved in the mission of the kingdom from day one. What would that look like and what would the results be? I think it'd be amazing. So anyways, point number three, people, not institutions. Now, the final incredible lesson I learned was more of a reminder because I've talked about this for quite some time, but I just love the way they framed it. So about halfway through the documentary, the film crew goes to a church building in Iran. It's a tourist attraction, basically. Um, it's a tourist attraction and nothing more. Now, one of the documentary hosts says this, the building still stands. It was like St. Peter's something, really, really old church building. And he says this, the building st still stands, but the gospel never took root. Now, in this segment, what they do is they demonstrate the reality that buildings, for all their magnificence and grandeur, were never intended to be the means through which the church spread. Instead, the church is meant to spread via ordinary people, because the people are the stones that make up the church. Thus, the church is meant, I mean, it's so simple, right, when you think about the way Jesus explained it, it's meant to be salt sprinkled over all our neighborhoods and communities, each individual church member adding flavor to the world around them, to their workplace, school, local gatherings. 
So the church in this vision emerges as a movement that seeps into every nook and cranny of society. It bleeds into culture and conversation by freely moving through barbecues, bars, and birthday parties, unhindered by the red tape often associated with institutional religion and undistracted by the maintenance demands that such institutions require. So yeah, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? But it blew my mind because I got to thinking, what if the things that we deem necessary to the success of the local church are the very things that hinder our success? Things like buildings, things like resources, things like money. Now, I'm not pretending or suggesting that I somehow have it all figured out. The documentary got me thinking more than anything. And I'm not sure where the thoughts are headed, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit can lead me because these were three incredible lessons um, from the world's fastest growing church, the church in Iran. And yes, it's a pre-modern context, but when I look at these principles, it's clear to me that this model would have way more success in the incredulous West that we reside in than our positional, conversion-driven, institutionally obsessed structures ever will. And uh, I hope we give it a go. So if you're intrigued and would like to watch the whole documentary, go to YouTube, Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2, and get ready for two hours of having your mind blown. All right, guys, uh, that's all I wanted to share for this week. But make sure you tune in next week where I sit down with Sarah McDougall for part two of Are Your Church's Evangelism Tactics Abusive? It's going to be an absolutely phenomenal conversation. We're going to wrap up from where we left off last time. You guys are not going to want to miss that. So make sure you share it. Make sure you let your friends know about the Story Church Project. Make sure you share this with your church, with your leaders, pastors, elders, whatever, um, students, whatever it might be. Because I believe that if we can unite together with a new vision and a new passion for where God is leading us in these last days, we can work together to redesign Adventism for mission and not tradition, but for mission, my goodness, we can finish the work that God has called us to finish. All right, guys, God bless you, and I'll catch you next week.